want to introduce you uh, to one of my favorite people on earth. Uh, this is my brother-in-law, Mark Gregory. Y'all say hey to Mark. Hey. Uh, currently, we have a prayer meeting that needs to happen because our entire family is over here, and all of our children are over in the children's ministry. And that requires a lot of the Holy Spirit when they get yes. together and sometimes Ritalin and, and threats. And none of us are Ritalin. there to threaten them. And so y'all pray for our children's team as they uh, have all of our um, kids over there. Uh, Mark is the student pastor at Brushy Creek in Taylor's, just down the road here. Uh, he's been married to uh, my sister-in-law, Courtney, for 10 years. They have two incredible kids that are just so much fun. We love them. And uh, one of them kept them up all night. That's why they're giving me that look. Yeah, we love um, them too. But I, I am so proud of Mark. I see uh -huh. Jesus off the platform at work in Mark's life. Uh, I've seen him work in the way that he loves Courtney, in the way that he loves his kids. I've seen him work in the way that he loves his church. Um, I, I remember, we'll forget, we were in Cheesecake Factory a couple years ago, and we were having that kind of end-of-the-year conversation. All the brothers and sister-in-laws had gone out, and my, uh, my mother-in-law was so gracious to keep all the kids for that hour and a half or four hours. I can't remember how yeah. much time went by, but uh, I asked the question, I said, uh, are, we, are you guys doing what you feel like God's called you to do? Are you where you want to be if Jesus comes back? I never will forget, Mark looked at me and he said, I'm not where I want to be. And here's what's amazing about it. He made a change. He had been serving as a Greenville City police officer and he pivoted back into vocational ministry, which was quite the drastic change. And I'm so proud of your step of faith um, because a lot of people talk about faith, but I've seen you walk it out. And so I'm just excited. He's going to bring the word to us today as we close out John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. And I just want to pray over him as he gets ready to do that. Would you join me in prayer? Can we do that? Father, we come before you and we are so grateful for your word, for the fact that your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. And God, we're asking that you would draw our eyes into this incredible prayer that Jesus prayed uh, as a uh, reminder of hope and mission and calling. Uh, of what we are to do until you come back. And so, God, I, I pray that you would give Mark clarity in his thoughts, fill him with your Holy Spirit, and give him conviction as he preaches the Word of God to us, and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you. you. So, I am Mark, and uh, somebody asked me this morning when I walked in, is Russ your brother? And I quickly corrected them and said, in law, right? Because I don't, we had to make sure we clear the distinction, because when I first met Russ uh, 10 years ago, or a little more than that, um, I didn't know if he was pastoring or worked at PacSun uh, because of how he dressed and how he carried himself. And so he's got that California vibe kind of still uh, a little bit, but we love them and we're thankful to be here this morning. Um, and so typically when a pastor brings in somebody to preach, it's like a really big, hard topic, right? Because they don't want to do it because they got to stay here. Amen. I get to get in my car and leave. And, and, you know, drive by here. And so uh, we're not talking about money this morning. We're not talking about um, sex. We're not talking about internet. We're talking about unity. And so how many of you enjoy unity? Raise your hand. Right? We love to live in unity. At least I hope you do. And so I'm going to call out um, two things that are similar, and I want you to tell me which one you like more. All right? So for example, Dunkin' Donuts versus Krispy Kreme. Raise your hand if you're Dunkin' Donuts. Man, it's the same thing, yeah. Krispy Kreme. Amen. There we go. All right, so there's a little divide there. Uh, let's say Burger King versus McDonald's. So who's Burger King? Who's McDonald's? And then some of y'all are just like, I don't eat either, right? Because they look the same. If it stays in the car for five years, it's the same looking food. All right, what about Clemson? What about Carolina? 
They're always so loud. Carolina's always so loud. All right? Uh, let's see. What about Ford over Chevrolet? Who's Chevrolet people? Right? We all have preferences. You see, like, I can come in and I can completely do exactly uh, what Pastor Russ doesn't want me to do. Like, I can get us wedged against each other. Because I can say statements or I can make an example of something and then you don't like it and then you feel very strongly about it and then unity goes out the door, right? And so unity is very hard. It's hard to accomplish. Um, we have relationships with our spouse, with our children, with our coworkers, uh, with people that you serve alongside with at the church. And there are times where unity is really hard to achieve. And so in John 17, we're going to look at Jesus' prayer for unity. And so the whole, the whole chapter is a prayer. And so Jesus is in the presence of the disciples. They're in the upper room. They just got done having a really big meal. I'm not all sure like what all they eat, um, but it's probably different than what we eat. Um, and so they get done eating, and Jesus begins to pray because Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. Because in just a few verses over in John, we see that Jesus is being falsely accused, arrested, and then he dies on the cross. And so in John 17... Verses 20 through 26 is where we're going to be this morning. Verses 20 through 26. It says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will, be, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Right? And so there's a lot of pronouns in there describing relationships. And so for us as a Christian, if you have given your life to Christ and you serve Jesus, then we are called to be with one voice, one reason why we gather, like to focus on unity. And as we've already just briefly discussed, unity can be very hard because we're all very different personalities. We all come from different backgrounds, and so uh, the definition of unity is the state of being undivided or oneness. The state of being undivided or oneness. There are things in our life that can divide us. There are things in our culture that are dividing us. There are things at your job that can divide you. But yet, we, as believers in Christ, are called for one purpose, and that's to glorify Him and to focus on the unity that He's talking about here in John 17. Tony Evans says it this way, biblical, biblical unity is oneness of purpose and not sameness of persons. It's oneness of purpose and not sameness of persons. And so basically the way I understand that to be is that we are united under the same purpose, but it doesn't mean that you have to be uniformed. It doesn't mean you have to look the same and dress the same and act the same way and like the same food and we have to have the same kind of coffee and only one creamer because that's what you want. Like it doesn't mean uniformity. And so the idea of a uniform is for what? It kind of labels you. When I was a cop, we had a uniform, a very annoying uniform. And in the summer, a very hot uniform. And so there were people, I never did this because I was scared of what would happen. Uh, I try to be a rule follower, but there were people at the police department that would alter their uniform 
uh, they may would cut something off or not wear something they were supposed to and just make some kind of alteration on their own. Um, and then we would get an email saying they're called a uniform for a reason, for uniformity. And so don't think this morning we're talking about unity where you've got to come in and just, you've got to dress like Pastor Russ. And you've got to like only the songs that he likes and only the food that he eats. Because if that's the case, you probably won't live long because this, this man crushes like some barbecue and just eats really crazy food. And so we're talking about unity under the cause of Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we lead little ones to Christ. That's why we serve. And so it's all about unity with Christ. And so the church, local and global, we gather to exalt Jesus. And when we do that, and we do that in such a way where unity is formed, the world notices that. People outside these walls notice that. If you're part of a unified church and you're living a unified life with Christ, with his Father, then people at your work are going to notice that. People at your kid's school are going to notice that. That PTA meeting that kind of always gets a little bit um, iffy, they're going to notice when you don't jump in on the bandwagon, right? They're going to tell that you're a part of something that's different, something that's distinct. And so that's what Christ has called us to do. We're not to just kind of come in and look the same and be the same and just live this very monotone uh, just life where we don't, we don't really seek him. We don't really try to get to know people. We don't try to do what it is Christ has called us to do. And so chapter 17 is this, this beautiful prayer that Jesus is praying to his Father. And so over and over again, he says, I am in you, they are in me, may we be one together. He wanted the disciples to hear him say, unity is important. Because disciples have been traveling with him. They know him. They've seen him lead. They've seen him serve. They've seen him uh, heal people. But yet Jesus is leaving soon. Jesus won't be there any longer. And so he realizes that these men who once were fishermen and tradesmen, they were going to struggle when their Savior left. And so he's praying this on their behalf. And so there's three things that start with a P this morning that we're going to talk about. All right? So the first one is purpose. We have to understand the purpose of unity. Because if you don't understand something, it's kind of hard to, to live it out or to use it. Has, I mean, have you ever bought anything and you're like, I can just figure this out, and then it goes horribly wrong? Right? Like whether it's putting a kid's toy together, whether it's you buy a new car and there's so many buttons on there, you just kind of get carried away and you just hit like all these buttons and you're doing all kinds of stuff in this car that you have no idea what you're doing, right? And so you have to understand what it is, unity uh, is, and what's required to do that. And so verse 21 says this, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And so when Jesus is praying this, he's trying to get his disciples to understand that, hey, the last three years of your life hanging out with me, that's been great. But when I leave, the work still continues. Just because Jesus went back to heaven doesn't mean the disciples didn't like, have a job to do, a task to do. That's when it really mattered. The past three years was preparation leading to this point. And so he knew that they would need this unity with the Father. In Ephesians 4, 3 and 4, it says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. And so there's two different kind of unities mentioned here in chapter 17. A spiritual unity, where we're united with Jesus, and he's united with his Father. And then there's also a personal unity, where we're united with one another. When I look in the room this morning, there's people that look different. Like some of y'all are wearing different clothes, some of y'all like different music, 
Some of you drove a different car. Some of you like certain places to sit in the church. And so we all have our distinctions. But yet, when we come in here to worship, we have to leave those at the door. The purpose of unity is to focus on what it is we're here for. Do you like doing things in life that are meaningless? Raise your hand if you like doing meaningless tasks. If we're honest, I don't think anybody would agree that we would want to spend our life doing meaningless things. But yet sometimes we come into church and we totally bypass what it is we're called to do. Because we come in with an agenda, we come in with what we want to see happen, we want them to sing our song, and if they don't sing it, I'm going to write an email. Or we want to have a certain soap in the bathroom, or we want Listerine, or we don't like the kind of coffee you brew. Like we're, If we're not careful, we can turn something that's supposed to transform our lives and our community, and it can totally wreck what it is God's trying to do in a church and in a community. And so you have to understand the purpose of unity. Uh, when a group of people gather to make a, a decision, unity is needed. Because if you don't get unity, what do you get? Oftentimes you get dissension. You get backbiting. You get, you know, hey, we had this church meeting or this church conference. Nobody says anything on the floor when the microphone's out. I don't know if y'all do that here, but like I'm in a Baptist church, so we have meetings like that. And so nobody says anything, but then on Monday afternoon, we hear all this stuff that was said, but it wasn't said when the time was given. And so what that does is it causes dissension. And can a church really be um, the focal point of a community for life change if they can't get along? Do people want to come in here knowing that this church, not just church, but like any church, can't get along and that their membership is constantly in a battle with one another, trying to outdo one another or outbid one another or this idea that it's only two or three people that kind of run it and that it's what they want all the time, right? And so unity is noticed outside of here. And it's important when you walk in that you understand that. Because if you don't, then why are we here? Why do we come and sing? Why do we come and participate? Why do we volunteer to go to beach camps with students? Why do we uh, give our life away to teach little kids when there's like a ton of them in there and they got boogers on their face, right? Like, why do we do these kind of things? It's because we are unified under one purpose and one uh, cause of Christ. And so Charles Spurgeon said, since union is strength, Satan does his best to promote separation. Union is strength, but Satan loves to get us all in our own way. He doesn't want us to be in one accord with the Father. He doesn't want us to kind of get all on one team and really focus on the one thing that Christ has called us to do because it, it, that would accomplish what the kingdom work is. When we're divided, stuff doesn't get done. And so the Satan loves that. And so uh, in a time when everybody's on edge and everybody's frustrated and everybody's tired and marriages are falling apart and kids are struggling with their parent relationship and all the stuff we're seeing in our society break down, now's the time for the church to say, this is what unity looks like. It's not that you put it on a flyer and you send it to their mailbox. It's that you live it. It's that when you go into your job, when you go into your kid's school, when you participate on an athletic team, when you're in the community, when you go to Starbucks, when you go and eat a meal, like you're showing unity. You're living it out. Every single day, no matter where you're at, you're putting the banner of Christ above your life and saying, I'm following him. I'm not following what Mark wants to do because it's so tempting to do that because we all have our personal agendas. Psalm 133.1 says, how delightfully good when the brothers live together in harmony. How delightfully good. Who wants to be delightfully good? I want to be delightfully good. And when we live in harmony, it's beautiful. Like if you have a relationship in your life right now that you count as a big deal to you, whether it's with your spouse or with a best friend from childhood, that's very meaningful. Relationships are meaningful. But what happens when that relationship isn't going well? 
It's tough. You can tell when it's not going well. When you're not in communion with that person and you're kind of used to having that person and all of a sudden you're on the outs, that affects you in a negative way. Well, the same is true with your Heavenly Father. When you are saying that you profess Christ as Lord of your life, but yet you're not in communion with Him and you're not spending time with Him and you don't pray and you don't repent of your sin and you don't turn away from that, then you're not going to be able to live the life that Christ has called you to live. And if you can't do that on a personal level, then you definitely can't do it on a public level. And so what we do in private is eventually going to creep its way in public. And so as a church, unity is paramount. It's absolutely necessary and very important. So number one is the purpose of unity. Number two, prioritize unity. Prioritize unity. Who in here likes to make a list of priorities? Raise your hand. Right, we all, I mean, most of us would agree that we want to have a priority or we, we work for a reason. We participate in a sport for a reason. We go to places for a reason. We have to now with gas being like what it is. You better have a reason to go, right? If not, stay at the house. And so we have a reason for things that we do. And we prioritize those. Because when you look at your life, saying no to one thing allows you to say yes to something else. Or saying yes to one thing allows you to have to say no to five other things, right? You make a priority. When you walk in and when you spend time in your community groups and when you're teaching kids and when you're, you're standing up singing in worship, prioritize unity. Don't always think what you can get out of it. Don't always think this is what I want. Or I can't believe they sang that song. I can't believe they did it because they sang that song three weeks ago. I guess it's time for another song. Or I can't believe that we're not doing this event. We've always done this event at this church. But this year, we're just not doing it. Like this mentality of what you want and what you desire, if it doesn't match up with what God's will is and God's purpose is for your life, it's not healthy. It's not helpful. And you're hindering what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. And so prioritize unity. At the end of Jesus' prayer, he's praying on our behalf. When you realize that, uh, verse 20, it says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. And so the men that are around that table after that giant meal, he's praying for them to have unity. But he's still praying this prayer for us today because he knows unity is so important to the life of the church. Unity is so important in making his name known and making his name great to the nations. A unified church demonstrates a powerful and life-changing truth to the world. When you look around, how many things can you think of and say, man, they're unified? Man, at work, we're all on the same page. That one email came out, and man, it got us all in line, and we're ready to go, right? Or my, my kid's sports team, man, they're just so in tune with one another. When they get out there on that field, they just whip everybody they come in contact with, right? Oftentimes, at least when my little boy plays, there's no unity, um, there's a lot of talking and a lot of uh, just cats running around the field doing like whatever they want to do. And so when you look at the local church, this place should be known for unity. This place should be known that those people really love each other. They really care about one another. They're trying to do what God has called them to do. When you look back over um, your past series, the One Another series, Pastor Russ was kind of filling me in on that. And the idea of what John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Love, your love for one another. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what's wrong, hold tightly to, the, to the, what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Who likes people that are never sincere? Anybody? Like, you can just tell, like, they're talking to you, but they really don't want to be talking to you. Does that not drive you crazy? Right? Are you that person? Right? I can be that person at times. 
And, and my wife, Courtney's in this service. She wasn't here earlier, so I could say other things. But she's here to kind of keep me in line today. And so I can really do this idea of, hey, how are you doing, brother? Oh, it's so good to see you. And just, like, move on to the next person. Right? And in ministry, sometimes that becomes a pretty bad habit for us to do this often. But he's saying here, don't just pretend. Really love people. Really spend time to get to know people. Really join in with their life and figure out how you can bless them. And so we, as Christians, should do that here so that when we leave these doors, we can do it out there. Because that's what the world will see. That's what's going to distinguish us from every other loud thing yelling at culture. And so... uh, When a group of believers consider, love, encourage, serve, and confess to one another, you can't help but to grow in Christ. And you can't help but grow as a faith community. You can't help but to see new people come in because they're so attracted to what it is you believe. And not only what you believe, but what you live out on a day-to-day basis. Because there can't be a disconnect. What you say you believe, you have to believe. But you have to live it too. Because when you leave this place where there's incredible worship and there's incredible programs, and you go out to your place of employment, and that first thing happens that kind of sets you off, or that one financial uh, burden comes in. If you're not living the way that you say that you live when you come here, people notice. People can figure that out pretty quickly. And so prioritize unity in your own life. We must put our preferences aside. Your individual preference does not override Christ's command. It just doesn't, because Christ made a command to go out and preach the gospel to all nations, to all people. Your preferences can't get in the way of that. And if it does, you're going to be accountable for that. And so I'm not saying this because sometimes in, when we talk about unity in church and, and one of my pet peeves, I guess I could say, in church work is that uh, I've been to places and they will say, we're going to pray for unity and then they're trying to make a really big decision. In, uh, in the idea of that, that's not bad. But you, as professing Christians, should look and say, is this what Christ has for us? Not ask, is this what I want? Because we have to be careful to say, well, it's just what this one person wants. That's not unity. That's uniformity. Biblical unity is saying, I want to be the same on the purpose of why we're here, and not I'm just here because this one person's here leading us. Because that's dangerous. Uh, That doesn't grow. That doesn't sustain a ministry. That's not exactly at all what Christ has called us to do here. And so biblical unity is sameness of person or purpose um, instead of oneness of persons. Your preference does not dictate the church's purpose. It just doesn't. Because your preferences, guess what they do? They change. I used to think Brussels sprouts were gross. I still do, right? But I now think that certain food that I used to hate, I'll eat it now. Couscous. Y'all know what that is? Those little tiny, like, pellets. Yeah, those things are great. I used to think they were horrible. I like it now. The kind of car I drive, I had a certain preference. Now that I'm paying for it, I got a different preference, right? (laughs) And so your preferences change. And so this idea that your preference dictates the church's purpose, it doesn't accomplish what it is Christ has called you to do. And then please don't hinder hinder or sacrifice the mission on a personal altar. Don't do it. Don't allow your preference to take over and begin to sow dissension within the body of Christ because it's not healthy, helpful, and again, we're accountable for what we do and what we say. In Matthew 26, or 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, 
and follow me. When you think about the disciples being called, right, three years prior to John 17, the disciples were called to Jesus. And when Jesus called the disciples, did he say, hey, lay your net down next month. Go bury your dead and then come see me whenever you decide to kind of get your life together. No, it was you drop the net immediately. You follow me right now. It's the same command that you give your children that they disobey, right? Go brush your teeth right now. Go put your shoes on right now. Go do your homework right now. And then 38 minutes later, you're looking for them and they still don't have a shirt on or shoes and hadn't brushed their teeth, right? That's my, my little boy. And so when you look at the, the way that Christ called the disciples, he wanted them to give up their own way immediately. When you become a Christian, we give up our own way. We give up our own preference. We give up our own desire because we are united to Christ. We are living for him. He is living within us. We are accomplishing the purpose that he has created and he sustained with his death, burial, and resurrection. We are to live for Christ, not for Mark, not for Courtney, not for Kathy or whoever else is in this room. Like We don't get to do that because we're not God and we did not send our son to die a terrible death for people that would just sit there and watch it unfold. And so we have to understand to prioritize unity, we've got to give up our own way. Um, to make him known to others and not to promote um, our own desires. When you think about like a restaurant, like we all have to make that decision a lot. And your, uh, your body tries to tell you you're hungry or you're like starving. Like my little boy will say, I'm starving. Like, Daddy, I'm, I'm so starving. And he ate 30 minutes ago, but he's starving right now. And then you ask him what he wants to eat, and he can't tell you, right? You get in the car when you leave here. You talking about unity in a marriage? Where are we going to eat? I don't care. You tell them four places, and they run you down on all of them. They don't want to go nowhere. And so you're just tempted to just get in, you know, go to the house and eat a peanut butter sandwich because it's just easier to save the marriage, right? And so unity, while we kind of like think of it as something mystical, it's very practical. We live with it every day. We're called to obey it every single day in our walk with Jesus. Um, prioritizing my own needs is something I do a lot. So speaking of marriage, you know, a lot of times when Courtney and I are in a tiff or a fight, we don't like saying fight. It just sounds so aggressive. Just kidding. We get in fights sometimes. Can y'all believe that? that? Somebody that preaches and works at a church can get in a fight with their spouse? I mean, it happens. But you know, many times what happens in that and how I trace back to how we got to that conversation it's because I was kind of pushing my needs or my agenda. I was better at prioritizing me over her or my kids, my schedule over hers or my kids. And if you're honest, the same is true for you because we want what we want. You look at a group of people and say, hey, I need you to give 30 minutes of your time once a month in church to like help volunteer with something. And they look at you like you just asked for $5 million dollars. But yet, we make time for what we want to make time for. We pick what we want to do. If you want to go to the apple orchard and wait four hours to go up the mountain to pick a basket of apples that you can get at Ingalls, you'll do that. <laughs> but yet, if we need some help setting up something in the parking lot, you look at us like we're crazy, right? And so I can say this because I don't work here. That's not my church. I'll go down to mine in, um, this afternoon. And so Russ is here. So this idea of unity, it affects you. This is not some lofty idea that we say, well, that only affects a certain group. It affects all of us. Because if there's only one of you that can't be in communion with the Father, if there's one of you that can't lay down your preferences, that one can disrupt many. It only takes one. 
to disrupt many. And so be sure that you're prioritizing unity in your own life, in your own heart. Make it a priority to help foster unity within the church. Make it a priority to display genuine love uh, for your church family. And make it a priority to die to yourself and to follow Christ. To don't go your own way. To don't make your own plans. Just follow Jesus. That sounds like, you know, you hear this over and over again. You've sung songs about it. But I'm telling you, if you will commit your life to him, he will sort out so many things that we wrestle with. He will sort out so many things that we stay up late at night about. I used to be one of the biggest warriors in the world. And at times I get that way. And Courtney has to remind me, like, have you not seen where God's brought us? Like, there's a track record. It's not like I'm just sitting here, like, guessing that he's going to do it or hoping he's going to do it. I've seen him do it. If I were to look back at my life in the last 10 years, God has been so faithful. And so I can trust him. I know that he has plans for me. I know he has plans for you, but it takes us committing our life to him and giving up our own way. Francis Schaeffer says this about unity within the church. It is in the midst of a difference that we have our golden opportunity. When everything is going well and we are all standing around in a nice little circle, there is not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference and we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time observable love, then there is something that the world can see, something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus has indeed been sent by the Father. And so when you look back in John 17, and it says in verse 23, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Verse 24, it says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can all see the glory you gave me, because you loved me even before the world began. And so this idea of the church, Christ, we're his bride. We talk about marriage. Marriage is a beautiful picture of two people coming together and laying down their preferences. And if you don't, sometimes it doesn't last. You can't sustain it. Because you've got two, two horses hooked to the same plow trying to go two separate ways. It's just unproductive. It's unhelpful. And so when you look at the local church, what a beautiful picture it is to be Christ's bride. And I would hope that in our heart, we'd want to be unified because we know who the bridegroom is. We'd want to have a purpose in what we do and what we say because we know that he loves and cares for us, that he is going to return one day and that we will be accountable for all that we do and say. And so we've had the purpose of unity. We've talked about prioritizing unity. And then finally, we look at protecting unity. And when you think about protecting unity, you say, well, how do you do that? Well, normally it comes by what we say. Your, your actions can lead to issues in the church. Your actions can lead to issues in your home. But what you say typically kind of gets you in hot water the fastest. Anybody ever said anything and like as soon as it's like rolling off, you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that, but it's, it's kind of already out, right? Or I've done that with Courtney. I'll start saying something and I'll just stop. Like my filter will work that time. She's like, no, what, what were you going to say? And like, she keeps pressing in, like, say what you're going to say. And I'm like, I don't want to say it. I, I didn't need to say it. But then I say it anyway, right? It's not good. And so this idea of guarding what you say, that helps protect unity. It helps promote unity. Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, uh, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. When you read scripture like that, you're like, there's no way. Man, Jesus says that, but he's loving. 
He's kind. He cares for me, and all those are true, but when he says something, he means what he says. We will be accountable. Accountability is something that we all have in life, but we don't like talking about. Many of us have an employer. We're accountable to them. Many of us have a spouse. We're accountable to them. Many of us have kids or grandkids. There's accountability there. But when you're talking about your relationship with Christ, there's accountability. And you'll give an answer one day for how you spent your time and for what you said and what you did. And I don't want to be the person that stands before the Lord and he says, why did you constantly cause dissension in my house? Why did you constantly push your agenda in my house? Did you not see in the community that you lived in that I wanted to do a great work? But you would come in and you would begin to stir the people up on something that was trivial, that wasn't the point of what you gathered here for. And so be careful with what you say and how you say it and who you say it to. When you look at Jesus talking to the disciples and praying in front of them, he realized that the disciples had grown accustomed to having him there. When you've been around somebody for three years, you're getting a pretty good feel of like who they are, right? And so he knew that if the disciples were having a hard time with picking on uh, who gets to sit in which seat when Jesus was there, imagine what it's going to be like when he's not there. And so as he's praying for these disciples, he's trying to say, hey, listen, God, be with them as you're with me because they've got a job to do. I'm leaving soon. I'm carrying out the will that you sent for me. And so we need to find this unity. And so the disciples are sitting around the table. They may have an idea of what's coming, but they have no idea of how much was coming or what that was going to look like. And so Jesus, in all of his wisdom, prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. May they focus on the, the relationship that I have with you. May they focus on what it is you've called us to do. And so when we think about unity and we think about our personal responsibility, there's three questions we should ask ourselves. There's probably more than that. But these are three that I have to ask myself, and I don't always ask these questions, maybe after the fact, but then it's too late. But the first question is, will what I'm about to say promote or provoke unity? Is what I'm going to say to this little group of people or to the person I'm meeting for coffee to air my grievances with the church, is it going to promote or provoke unity? Number two, will what I'm about to say honor Jesus? That seems simple enough, but in my conversation this week, I'm sure there was times that I didn't honor Jesus with what I said. And sometimes I'm so sinful, that I don't even realize it until after the fact. And so think through these questions. And number three is what I'm about to say based on a fact or just an emotion or my own opinion. Facts are something, but emotions can get you in trouble. You can listen to a song on the radio, man, you're ready to hit the day on Monday. Oh, you're feeling good. The spirit's in there. And you hit the front door of your place of work, and it's like you got zapped out of you, right? Sometimes there's an emotional response in our walk with the Lord. But here, in this place, and any gathered church, it can't be emotional. It can't just be this, oh, it felt good to be in the house of the Lord today. Well, why? Did you confess sin? Did you make things right with that person that you had a, an issue with last week? Did you lay your preferences outside on the sidewalk before you walked in here to focus on the king and what it is he's called you to do? And so protect unity. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. 
Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Be in one mind. Be united in one purpose. And that's to make Christ known. That's to make Christ known. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we have preaching. That's why we have worship. That's why we have Bible school. That's why we have kids uh, in this over here learning about Christ is to make Christ known. We don't come here to get what we want out of it. We come to stay in unity and in harmony with one another to point everybody back to Jesus. Because there's a lost and dying world that's getting more lost and darker as the days go on that need to see this hope of Christ. They need to see the unity that the church has. And so if you want to see this area transformed, if you have people at your job that you want to see come to faith in Christ, if you have a kid in your household that you want to see give their life to Christ, you have to die to yourself. You have to live the way Christ has called you to live. You have to be an example to those around you that say there's something different about this person. They don't jump in on the office gossip. They don't jump in on like what everybody else is saying. They just remain steady. They remain calm. And so as we wrap up this morning, I don't know if there's something that you've said. I don't know if there's something that you've done that has caused, you know, dissension in God's house. I don't know if there's some things going on in your family life that has been said or done that's causing uh, disunity with one another. And so this morning, when you read through the words of Jesus' prayer, and not only do you stop by reading it, but you put yourself in the mentality of where the disciples were sitting, where your Lord, your Savior, the man you've been following, staying up late, eating meals, seeing all these miracles, he's about to die. He's leaving. And they knew that something had to happen. They knew that when he left, things were going to be different. And for us, 2,000 years removed from that scene, the same is true. We still must keep unity because it is a loud microphone to the world that we really are his, that what God said in his word really is true. The fact that Jesus really did die, the fact that Jesus really was resurrected. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you I don't know where you're at in life because I don't know you. But I know this, we all struggle with unity. We all struggle with not wanting our desire. But on a positive side of this, just keep in mind that he's returning. He will come back one day. We will see him as he really is. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, you will see Christ in the fullness of glory. You will see him as he really is. And so I'm reminded of a story that Joni Erickson Tata told about a disability camp for little kids. And they're around this circle and there's all these kids with these disabilities and they pass the microphone around to certain kids and one little boy named Jeff raised his hand and he says, I got something to say. And so he got the microphone and he said, I just want to go home. And it kind of caught everybody by surprise because Jeff had a great time at that camp. It was great that he went, but the mother told the camp director later that the reason why Jeff said, I want to go home is because his daddy was at home. His daddy couldn't come to the camp. His daddy had to stay and work. And so some of y'all are in the room and you're just like, I'm tired. I just want to go home. I just want him to come back. But we have a job to do. We've been called to live for him each and every day. We've been called to promote and to protect and understand this unity that the world knows not of. And so let's all do our part. Let's all live for the king. Let's all lay aside our desires and focus on him. Pastor Russ. Amen. Amen. Yeah.